Will you pray with me as I invoke the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning? Holy Spirit, oh how we need you, and you are most welcome here. May your kingdom come in power, and we are totally at your disposal. Amen. We love this video, and we can totally relate to it. Um, and of course, Rake's Ragged Kids were part of the Wesleyan Revival, and don't you love it that it's God chose children to become the seeds of that revival that we are now part of? More about that later. Greetings from the Matthew Initiative. Our mission is helping churches grow young again by empowering them to reach the children and families that are around them in their communities. And it's good to be back in Estes Chapel where this ministry actually started 10 years ago. So I was sitting right about where you are in the hat that morning at my daughter's finally, final chapel service. She's also a graduate of the seminary. And we had absolutely no idea of what God was about to do. But today, today, I want to share those stories with you and the events that shaped my call to the Matthew Initiative and the early days of the Matthew Initiative. We have not shared these stories beyond my family but it's time to go public. And we're gonna do it in this, our beloved community. So, here we go. Confession. I am a recovering keeper of the aquarium, more specifically, the Sunday School Aquarium. 10 years ago, I was the director of children's ministries at a very large suburban church in Roswell, Georgia. I had a staff of five people, an operating budget of $75,000 per year, that was before the salaries, endowments, and I was super really comfortable. I liked my job. I spent all of my time in these vast resources, worrying about the kids that were on the rolls from the already Christian families, and hoped that they would show up at least twice a month. I was not worried about who was not there yet. We started out with a very small number of fish in our really fancy aquarium. Only 80 kids were attending a 6,000-member church, which was not good news then, and it's kind of normal now, and that's totally unacceptable. But somehow, we managed to turn 80 kids into 400 kids. We called it the Miracle on Mimosa Boulevard. Now, then when you do something like that, the other churches come around and they start asking, how did you pull off that miracle? And they would come and watch and they'd shake their heads. And then they started asking us for help with their ministries. And they would, I would ask them, well, how many kids do you have? Well, we have eight on a good Sunday, but we have 20 on Easter. Well, what's your budget? It's $1,000, sometimes $500, that's annually for the year, and I think that's mostly on paper. What are you gonna do about that? Well, would you give us your curriculum and some of your resources? And my personal favorite, we're a church plant, and someone just drove off with our Sunday school trailer with all of our children's resources in it, so now we have nothing. Could you help us? That's a true story. <laughs> 
So I found myself helping four other churches in addition to the big one. And I began to realize, Houston, we have a problem. What is happening? Why are all these churches barren with no kids? Um, and the other thing was, these churches have an approaching expiration date if they don't grow young again. So here comes the fun part that I haven't shared. I was out on a walk in my neighborhood on a beautiful October fall day like today, and I was mumbling to God about what are we going to do with these broken churches with no kids? And I asked God what needs to be done about that. And I will never forget the moment on my walk where this idea profoundly seared through my brain, I can't describe it, nonprofit foundation to help these churches reach these kids. Nonprofit foundation was not in my vocabulary. It is not how I think. It was very strong and very emotional. So what I did with that was I walked home and I told my husband, honey, you need to watch me. I might be having a nervous breakdown. And it's a really, really big one. So off I went back to my comfort zone in my large church and my much bigger aquarium at that time. And then the 4 o'clock a.m. wake-up calls started. Have y'all had those? Why is it always 4 o'clock? I don't know. This went on for a month, every night. The nonprofit, the nonprofit to help these churches. The nonprofit to help these churches. And I said, what? Now, all of you in this room have probably heard God calling in the night. And we know when something's up. So this is what I did about that. I started to bargain with God. Oh God, if, you're at, if this is something you want me to pursue, here's my list. What is this nonprofit you're talking about? Or what, what in the world is that going to look like? I don't have an attorney. I don't have a board. I don't have a 501c3. And I don't have money for all of the above. And I headed back to my comfort zone at my very large church. So at our family gathering on Christmas Eve, well, the, call, the, the, the wake up call sort of went silent, and I thought, that's great. Um, on, at a family Christmas Eve gathering, my nephew, who is an attorney and an agnostic now because of a really bad confirmation experience he had, um, said that he had a friend who was an attorney and he wanted to help me start the nonprofit that I had been talking about. And I went, what? So I said, okay, Josh, I'll, go, I'll speak to your attorney friend. I did. And he said, well, we've got a file. We've got a file for the 501c3. That will be $2,000. And I said, I'll see you when I get the $2,000. And I went back to my comfort zone. So four weeks later, a check in the mail came for a life insurance policy on my dad that I didn't know he had. And it was for 1993-68. And I sat there in my car going, well, doesn't this happen to the missionaries that are over in Africa? I couldn't believe that it was me. Um, so I took the $2,000, we got our nonprofit registered, they filed for the 501c3, the attorney said, that will be six months before you get the 501c3, and I said, and off I went back to my comfort zone and my large staff. The 501c3 arrived in two weeks. 
true story. So now we're, we're on the record hall of fame at Smith, Gambrell, and Russell, um, the attorneys who said, what is it you're doing? This never happens. That really got my attention. So I wrote my resignation letter and hit send. And two hours later, I asked um, myself, I struggled, well, what have I done? This is some nervous breakdown. <laughs> that very day, in that afternoon, because God knew I was a scaredy cat, and he needed to keep giving me this stuff to keep me going, the phone rang, and it was the pastor of Cresby United Methodist Church. And she said, can you help us? I hear you're starting a nonprofit to help churches like us. And I said, oh crap, where is Cedartown? <laughs> I really said that to her. She was sobbing on the phone, it was, it was terrible. So, two weeks later, I found myself in Cedartown, and I sat down for the first ever Matthew Initiative meeting with laity and the pastor. There were three pastors there. One of them was a former professor here at Asbury, and that's probably because God knew I was going to try to think myself out of what happened next. I couldn't. So, they had an average of 10 kids attending. Lots of back and forth on how to grow this ministry. Well, we have the Easter kids and the Christmas kids and the grandkids. And it went back and forth on that. And then someone asked, but where are the kids who aren't here yet? And then someone else said, let's pray and ask God where they are. Well, they formed a circle of prayer and they prayed and they asked God to show them where the kids were. They were not there yet. And... After, in that circle of prayer, a presence came into the room, very powerful and strong. It was such that I was like this. I could not look up. It was so overpowering. I had never experienced anything like it. After it was over, and maybe during that it was going on, the pastor's wife kind of did like this to me, and she said, I have never experienced anything like this. And I said, Neither have I. And then the same person said, suddenly, because of the prayer session, I know where the kids are. They're in the trailer park out on Highway 100. Somehow they all just knew in that moment that's where these kids were. These kids that Jesus was asking them to invite to their great banquet table. I drove by the trailer park on my way out and cried all the way back to Atlanta because no child should be living there. It was Monday, it was Maundy Thursday, and what I can say to you is everything shifted on its axis in that meeting. We now refer to it as Maundy Thursday, Kresge meeting, and it is now the spiritual birthday of the Matthew Initiative. Sorry, I haven't shared this before. Okay, so even with that, I'm still bargaining with God. Can you believe that? Yes, you can. Probably done it too. The morning of Jordan's final chapel service here in Estes Chapel, I got up that morning in my hotel room and I told God, I can't do this. It's too big. It's just too big. I'm so sorry. And what I can say about that is to make a long story short, God showed up for me. Um, so here's me, this is the veil, 
that separates us from God and eternity, it became very thin. And God was right there on the other side of it. I've never experienced anything like that. That was just for me. Um, so I came in here that day and sat where you are. A totally different, non-terrified person. The peace that God gave me that day has never left me, even on, on our most difficult days doing the Matthew Initiative. So back at Kresge, we gathered to launch the program. Kresge prayed every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock because that's when the kids would be arriving, not Sunday morning, Wednesday night, because they figured none of them would show up at 9.30 on Sunday. Um, yeah. It would be hard for their parents who were sleeping over from whatever they were doing on Saturday night to get them up to get them there. So they would go after them and they would feed them because they knew that there was food scarcity in that trailer park. So we got ready and the night before the launch, I could not sleep. I was up all night driving my husband crazy. He finally gave up. I called some of my board members like at 12.30 that night and I said, am I crazy? And they said, you might be, it's too soon to tell. <laughs> so we gathered at Kresge, we got ready to welcome the kids from the trailer park. No one knew if any or how many would come. They were prepared for 15, that would have been a big deal. <laughs> they got supper ready for them. It was cans of ravioli because that's all they could afford. And the red van with no air conditioning took off to the trailer park and I'm still bargaining with God. As the, trail, as the van left, I said, God, please don't let my nervous breakdown impact what you're going to do here. If you'll just give us 15 kids, that'll be great. Please don't let these people down. Van returned with 20 kids and said that 20 more were waiting to come. So Kresge went from 10 to 40 kids on a summer Wednesday evening. And since then, we have launched 28 churches since Kresge. And I have slept peacefully every night before every launch since. We have never looked back, nor have we doubted, that these kids would find their way to the church who prayed for them and prepared a place for them at Jesus' table. But here are the Kresge stories. This is my favorite. So, oh, we have 40 kids. Oh, we have 40 kids. What are we going to do? We have no budget. We can't feed this many kids, okay? Well, so they just sort of took up a love offering, you know how we do, and they bought more cans of ravioli. <laughs> so I get a call the next Wednesday morning. Did you send the food that's in the kitchen? What food? There's food in the kitchen. It's enough for 60 people. Did you send it? No, I do not know what you're talking about. Someone brought food in that Wednesday morning for the Kresge kids. And that food appeared in that kitchen for a long time after that. I think the pastor may have known who that was, but it was like the manna from heaven. So one of my favorite Kresge stories is later on, a, a cow broke its leg in Cedartown, and the, the farmer, of the, the, the owner of the cow said, hey, Kresge, we hear you're feeding all these kids. We would like to have the cow put down and professionally butchered and put, give the hamburger meat from the cow to feed the Kresge kids. Okay. So the, the, the cow was now in seven freezers, and the cow was known as the famous Kresge cow. <laughs> God's provision for those children continues to this day. 
So my favorite, some of my favorite stories from the kids. So kids came off the van and they looked at that giant church building and they said, hey, what is this place? Is this a daycare center? They had no idea they were in sacred space. They just absolutely did not know. They didn't have language for God. And then one day, a little girl asked the pastor, will you write a letter to my daddy and tell her about my new church home that I found here? He is in prison. That's one of the most beautiful things that pastor's ever done. She began to preach with power and entered the springtime of her ministry. So now there's Corey. He's a little kid who missed the van. It was taco night. He was about 12 years old, and he was hungry. So what he did we didn't know this, was he borrowed a bicycle that barely had any air in the tires, and he rode that thing for three miles to get to Kresge. And he knocked on the door and said, can I come anyway? I missed the van. I was blown away. And so were all the rest of them. True story. So we later learned that Corey, age 12, was wearing a police ankle bracelet for breaking and entering. His father had died in a drug deal that had gone bad in Cedartown a couple years earlier. So he wanted the pastor to call the police and see if they could extend his range on his ankle bracelet so that he wouldn't get into trouble, get into trouble with the police because that Kresge was a little bit beyond his range where he should be. Just so happens the chief of police was a member of, of Kresge. He took Corey under his wing. They sat together in church services on Sunday morning and the chief of police and sponsored Corey for his Eagle Scout badge. Corey changed his life, but Corey's life was changed, and Corey's changed Kresge. So, more stories. After showing the Christmas story on a video like this, a little guy sitting next to me said, hey, my mom's new boyfriend said that's how this happened, but I didn't believe him. It's like he was hearing the Christmas story for the very first time. We sat with the kids for the telling of the Easter story, another video. So um, when the part came where Jesus died, they all went, no, no, no. And when the time came to share that Jesus rose from the dead on the first Easter Sunday, dead silence. And then suddenly an eruption of joy happened in that place. They were clapping and cheering and jumping up and down because Jesus had risen from the dead. This went on for five minutes. I have never been part of such a joyful expression of Easter and resurrection. Wow, may we all experience that. And then came the counter. These are the kids of the drug dealers of Cedartown. Their parents aren't here and no one's writing checks and we've done the numbers and they're really costing us a lot of money. Well, the volunteers stood firm. Some of those people actually left the church and they took their money with them. That happens sometimes. But the volunteers stood firm and the church went on stronger than it had been. So there's that. And as word of the Kresge kids began to spread around Cedartown, um, other churches said, hey, we need to start doing this. So these little children's ministries vans start rolling all over Cedartown. It was amazing. So probably 300 kids have come through that ministry at Cedartown, maybe more. It changed Cedartown, and it certainly changed all of us. Crestby became the embodiment of what repairs of the breach and restores of communities looked like because they repaired the racial divide and the community breach as they began to look like their community. 
Who could not love a church who loves kids like this? Kids were finding their shepherd and the kingdom of God was drawing very near. So, beyond Kresge, the same thing's happening in all of our other Matthew churches, only a different version of it. Children are being baptized, they're being called to the ministry. Little life springs of renewal are going on. Um, an incredible gift has been unleashed on the church. Now, about that Wesleyan revival, this is where you all come in. You are here today preparing to lead a very anxious and uncertain church that needs innovators and pioneers who will turn the world on its axis. You're gonna need a bigger toolbox. And this is what we've learned about the toolbox that you're gonna need. Please hear me on this. Who's not here yet is our mission. It is our mission. When you leave here, who's not here yet is your call. Jesus himself asked us to do that. Nothing is more important straight up. How did we lose this? When did this happen? Every church starts with missional DNA. It's a new church. They have to go out and find more people. But as they get settled and comfortable like I was, they just begin to quit thinking about that. Oh, we, all the fish are in the aquarium. We're good. Prayerfully lead your people to a powerful God who is ready to show up and help your people find out who's not here yet. Then spread a great banquet table through joy, hospitality, and hope. The whole world is longing for this right now. We can and we must do this again. The church you're going to lead, with some notable exceptions, really likes the status quo. They may not like change, and they may not be excited about who's not here yet. Racism comes to mind as you're thinking about a fundamental reason that might be underneath it. Can I just put that out there? So pastors need to be trained, seriously trained, in how to have these conversations with their people to cross the racial, racial divide. Our country is growing more multicultural by the day. It is beautiful. Does your church look like its community? You are going to need to think of yourselves as missionaries, not professional pastors. Can I just say that again? Missionaries. We're in the post-Christian world now. We really are. Pastors need to know how to lead their churches out into their communities with community mapping, and it has to go way beyond service projects. You have to learn how to sit on the front porch with people and listen to them about what's breaking their hearts. And then you need to ask God to break yours. Asbury Seminary, I beg you, because lives are depending on this, teach innovation and holy experimentation for the sake of the gospel. The old ways of doing ministry is the way my generation was taught is no longer working. It's like taking a squirt gun to put out a raging fire. You've done a great job preparing us for the institutional church. Now find a way to prepare these students for the anointed church. We've seen glimpses of it, and it is glorious. Okay, so you need to be taught how to pray and fight. We have met the hosts of evil in heavenly places. That's Paul saying that. Um, and sadly, 
you will too. And it will be the people you least expected to see that from. If the powers and principalities are not after you, then you may not be moving the needle. You need to run to Dr. Siemens or whoever's teaching that um, spiritual warfare class. My daughter Jordan could teach that class now, and she was sort of like, I'll take this class called spiritual warfare. Now she uses it every day. Hey, what do you know? Um, you're going to have to learn to pray a hedge of protection around yourself and your family and your people. Tend your prayer life and hold it sacred. I mean that. For our staff, it's one whole morning a week. The entire morning is set aside for prayer and spiritual um, learning together. Learn how to put your oxygen mask on first before you put the oxygen mask on your congregation. Go deep into your relationship with God. Spiritual formation is essential and it's needed more than ever. Thank you, Donna Covington, for what you're doing with spiritual formation here. Please keep it up. Spiritual formation is on the front end of the Matthew Initiative process. We do this for months with these congregations we work with and with three weeks to launch a church. Um, no shortcuts on this. We are Asbarians. We should know how to do this. Or do we? You cannot lead people to where you have never been with God. In this holy place, in this special place during these days of preparation, encounter the one who is ready to baptize you with fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. Then learn to wait for the Holy Spirit to lead and direct, because this is where true power comes from. Absolutely. Without this power, we are simply going through the motions and asking God to bless our plans and our lovely, lovely aquariums. Miracles seldom happen in your comfort zone. I wish they did, but they don't. What is God calling you to do that you are being uniquely prepared to do here? Where is your holy discontent with what's wrong with the church that currently is, exists What's broken and needs to change that people will come to know your Jesus? What is that inner whisper you're hearing that absolutely will not go away? Listen to it. You already have what you need. You just need to discover it for yourself. That's from Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz. Although I'm sure the Apostle Paul said something similar. Never, ever, ever have another ordinary year. Jesus does not need for you to have an ordinary year, another one. Don't just go through the motions of ministry. It's so easy and deadly to get into the motions of the calendar year. Easter, Christmas, Pentecost, meetings, 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 meetings. People and kids are outside the doors of your church and they are looking for their shepherd. People outside the doors of your church don't know why they're hanging the Christmas ornaments on their Christmas trees. And during the season of COVID, people really are looking for God in ways we haven't seen before, and some of them are right here in Wilmore, outside the doors of this chapel. I love what's going on at First Methodist Church, and the Free Methodist Church parking lot's looking really good, by the way. Um, there is no greater joy than seeing this happen. Do not miss this. Do not miss this. Why would you miss this? 
So, I got a text from the Kresge Kids Coordinator earlier this year before COVID hit, and this is what she said. The Kresge Kids are all grown up now. They're attending college with help the scholarships that the Kresge volunteers made for them, some of them for the first time in their families. Um, they drive themselves to college now, and then they drive themselves to Kresge Kids on Wednesday nights. They have profoundly changed that church and soon will become leaders of the emerging church at Kresge and beyond, and maybe one day some of them will end up here. Wouldn't that be something? That would be very shortly, maybe in about three, four years. Only God can do this. So Asbury, we got to figure out what the new Sunday school is going to look like. We think it's going to be the missional children's Sunday school that looks like Kresge and Maleska and Parker and Chickasaw and all the other churches that we have been blessed to be part of. Missional children's ministries. Kind of like the, the Rakes Ragged Kids back in the day of the Wesleyan Revival. And isn't it something that God has chosen children to be repairers of this amazing breach? The most unlikely ones in the most unlikely of places, the broken church on the corner that everyone has given up on. But wait, I think that's where many of you are going. <laughs> I suspect that some of you are there now. So, to all of my fellow scaredy cats out there, fear not, peace be with you. That's from the angel of Bethlehem when Jesus entered this world as a tiny human. Dream big dreams that only God can do. The kingdom of God is coming near, maybe to your church soon. Usher in the reign of God under the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn the world on its axis. And the best of all is God is with us. Amen.